Welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. Your host, Nisi Edwards, is founder of the Fibro Patient Education and Support Organization, and she's here to offer help and hope to the millions of individuals who suffer from chronic pain. Now, here's Nisi Edwards. Hi, everyone. My name is Nisi Edwards, and welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. I am your host. So today we will be discussing what is fibromyalgia and know your patient rights. So let's get started. So what are my health care rights and responsibilities? As a patient, what many people are not aware of is that you have certain rights, and many of these rights are guaranteed by federal law such as, for example, the right to get a copy of your medical records and the right to keep them private. Many states additionally have laws protecting patients and health care facilities, and they also have their own patient bill of rights. In fact, you may think back to when you've gone to the doctor's office and they've given you uh, a lot of papers that you need to complete, especially when you're a new patient. Uh, look at those documents. One of those documents is your patient bill of rights. And an important patient right is also your informed consent. You hear that a lot, your informed consent. Think about it each time you need to have a procedure done, whether it is a surgical procedure or any other test. It deals with your informed consent. So what that means is if you need a treatment, your health care provider must give you the information you need to make a decision. So doctors are, by definition, medical experts, right? And therefore, they can use their expertise to diagnose your illnesses, and also they can and do recommend courses of treatment. But in spite of that, patients, myself included, we must always remember that the decision to treat or not to treat ultimately resides with you. So regardless of what your doctor may propose as the course of treatment, you have the right to choose and decide if you want to follow your doctor's advice. You see, your doctor does have no authority. They cannot force you to undergo treatment. This even extends to taking prescribed medication. Think about the number of times you've gone to the doctor's office and they've talked to you about their plan of treatment. And if that plan of treatment includes medication, they will tell you, well, I'm going to send a script to whatever your local pharmacy is. You have the right to choose and decide if you want to take that medication. Now, myself, um, I will share uh, some things with you personally. There have been times that the doctor has prescribed medication to me, but I have opted not to get that prescription filled because I didn't feel that it was in my best interest. The doctor may be the medical expert, but I'm an expert when it comes to my own body to know, you know, hey, if this is something that I really want to take, because you also have to weigh the side effects. Each time a prescription is prescribed, there are side effects to these various medications. And some of these side effects, think about all the commercials that you see on television. And with many of these commercials, they'll tell you what the name of the drug is and the purpose of the drug. But think about all those disclaimers that they add to it. 
when they list that it may cause cancer in some patients. It may cause this or it may cause that. I mean, when you start looking at all that, I don't know about you, but that makes me very nervous. And that's why I, you know, pick and choose what is in my best interest. Uh, another patient right? You can decide whether or not you want to disclose your medical records or keep them private. There may be some things in your medical records, for example, that you may not want others to know. Whatever it may be, you know, that's your choice. And um, if you are someone that may be in the hospital or you're in the process of going into the hospital, many hospitals also have patient advocates whom can help you if you have problems. Um, many states even have an ombudsman's office. And what the ombudsman people do is they help you with long-term care. Uh, any problems that you may have with your long-term care, those are the individuals you may want to seek out. So that's why your health care rights, knowing them is, and being responsible to stay informed about them, that's very important. But I want to share with you um, a little story, and, and this is a known true fact, and this is why I'm very passionate about this. And, you know, oftentimes we take this for granted, what our health care rights and responsibilities are. You know, we just sign off on all these forms. We don't bother to pay attention sometimes and, and read everything that we sign, which you really need to do before you sign off. Um, I want to share with you a story that really matters to me, that brings it on home about your health care rights and responsibilities. So this story is about Henrietta Lacks. Henrietta Lacks, she was just 30 years old when she discovered a lump on her cervix while in her bathtub at home. So she went to see her private care doctor, and he referred her to Johns Hopkins Hospital for further testing. And the testing confirmed that she had cancer. In fact, she was diagnosed with cancer. This goes back to January 1951. She was the wife of a steel worker. She was a mother of five. And she was treated with radiation uh, therapy and sent home. Then she was hospitalized that following August. And she died at the age of 31 years of age, two months later. But that's not where her story ends. You see, for Henrietta Lacks, without her knowledge or permission, the doctors had harvested samples of her cervical tissue during her medical treatments. And they discovered that her cancerous cells were not like any other they've ever seen. See, her cells, they discovered, were able to be duplicated in the labs and stay alive. This basically meant that the same sample of tissue could be tested multiple times for research, making her cell line immortal. Um, research using Henrietta cells, they helped spur numerous medical breakthroughs. That includes, number one, vaccines, cancer treatments, as well as in vitro fertilization. But you see, as I mentioned, Henrietta had died. Uh, doctors never disclosed to her uh, about her cells and that they planned to use them or even that they wanted to use them. Her family was kept in the dark 
about all of this. And in addition to that, they were never compensated for her contributions. Um, Henrietta, they named the cells after her. They are referred to as the HeLa cells. So these HeLa cells have contributed to medical advancements like the polio vaccine. They've also been used in gene mapping and in AIDS and cancer research. And it's really sad that, you know, although these HeLa cells have gone on to spur uh, advancements in medical care and treatment, it's just really sad and shameful that her cells were used without her informed consent. They were used without her family members even being notified that they had been used, and they were never even compensated. Her family, in fact, didn't even know that anyone had taken her cells until much later on. And then once they discovered it, trying to figure out all it had happened and how it had unraveled, uh, basically multi-millions of dollars, now in fact billions of dollars, have been made off of these HeLa cells. Uh, in fact, uh, if you want to learn more about this, you may want to check out the HBO movie Abduction of the Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Um, Oprah Winfrey, she's the executive producer uh, of this, and this is something you may want to check out and learn more about it. That's why, as I stated, it's important to know what your patient rights are, your informed consent, because all this matters. In fact, you need to know how your tissues are being used. You just can't take tissue and make a profit at the expense of someone else. Uh, in my opinion, it's just morally unethical. Think about uh, for women, for example. Think about for many of you that may have had uh, a hysterectomy. Typically, the surgeon comes in, they talk to you about the procedure, what to expect, and in some of the paperwork that you sign, the informed consent, uh, it even talks about um, that some of the tissue is going to be used for research or or other things. Um, you know, I always read through everything with a fine tooth comb. That's, that's just my nature because when I'm signing something, I want to know, you know, what am I signing? You know, what am I agreeing to? What am I giving my informed consent to? And how many of you, you know, are afraid to ask, what does this mean? Because oftentimes what I've seen when I've been a patient in the hospital or while visiting others is that people just routinely just sign away. They sign away. They never even bother to stop for one minute and stop to see what they're signing away. So um, my message to all of you is that the next time you're having a procedure or if the doctor even suggests surgery, whatever it may be, know what your rights are. You know, before you give informed consent for that test, that procedure, that surgery, no matter what it is, know what you are signing on to. You're the patient. This is your body. And you have the right to decide what is in your best interest. So we're going to go on a brief break. And we will return to the pain-free zone. I am your host, Nisi Edwards.
Now, let's get back to the pain-free zone. Here's Nisi Edwards. Welcome back. I am your host, Nisi Edwards. And today we are talking about know your patient rights and fibromyalgia. So the first half of the hour, we talked about knowing your patient rights. And so now we're going to get into one of the questions that I'm asked all the time. What is fibromyalgia? So what is fibromyalgia? Uh, the cost of fibromyalgia, the, what causes it, is unknown. It is believed by many healthcare experts that people who have this condition, we that we process pain differently. Uh, I say we because I also have fibromyalgia. And not only do we process pain differently, and that the way our brains recognize pain signals make them overly sensitive to touch and other stimuli. So when they say that we process pain differently, I want to give you an example of what that's like. So in your home, you have your thermostat. You, you know, you oftentimes you've adjusted it when you want it to be a little bit cooler. Maybe you're turning on your air conditioner. Um, as we get further into the fall of the year, when the temperatures drop, you know, you will be turning on your heat and you have the ability to raise the temperature or lower the temperature. Well, when you have fibromyalgia, the way that our brains recognize pain signals, we are stuck in one temperature. And that temperature setting and that temperature reading is high. It's, you know, it just doesn't tone down. It just doesn't level down. So that's one of the reasons why we process pain differently, because our brain and it really starts in the brain, the amygdala. And that's the brain stem. And our brains recognize these pain signals and it makes them overly sensitive to touch and other stimuli. Now, living with fibromyalgia is very challenging. You may experience pain and fatigue that interferes with daily activity. So many people will say, and you may have heard this from your family or friends, they will say, well, you know, I get tired all the time. So how can your fatigue be any different to my fatigue? Well, there is a big difference because for someone who does not have fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome, you may get tired and, you know, you may get a little bit more rest and you wake up and you're feeling refreshed. That's not how it works with fibromyalgia and people with chronic fatigue syndrome. We have difficulty sleeping. And no matter how much sleep we get, we never get deep restorative sleep. And if you don't sleep, guess what? Your body cannot heal. And no matter how many hours we will try to sleep, we still can't get that deep restorative sleep. And so for us, we never wake up feeling refreshed. We wake up feeling like, you know, we're foggy, like we're out of it. Just we, it's the best, the best way to describe it is you just feel that the sleep is stuck somewhere that you just can't get enough of it. And it's, is very depressing because when you can't sleep and you have that feeling of being fatigued and no matter what you do, nothing seems to work that can and will lead to depression. And when you do not get enough sleep and you have a chronic pain condition, that will amplify your pain. So as I mentioned, you may experience pain and fatigue that interferes with daily activity. And it will when you don't get enough sleep. You can't function like you normally would. 
just think about going to work and trying to work uh, an eight-hour day. It's really hard when you're fatigued because you can't focus. Think about when you're driving and you can't focus on the traffic. That's very dangerous as well. So that's why living with fibromyalgia, these are some of the reasons why it can be challenging. But yet your family, your friends, and even your doctor, many of them may not even understand your concern. And many people, they don't even think that fibromyalgia is a real condition. Some will say, oh, your symptoms are just imagined. It can't really be that bad. And you know what? There are some doctors out there who don't even believe that fibromyalgia is a real condition. I remember one rheumatologist that I used to treat with. I was seeing her for the fibromyalgia as well as rheumatoid arthritis. And one day she shared with me that she only wanted to focus on treating the RA, the rheumatoid arthritis. And when I asked her why, she said, well, I think that's just better left for someone else. You know, what's important right now is just the RA. And after further questioning, uh, I realized quickly that she just really didn't want to be bothered because she did not believe that fibromyalgia even exists. She didn't believe that it was a real condition. And that upset me because as a patient, you have needs. And when you have a chronic pain condition or no matter what the condition may be, you want someone on your team that is going to partner with you to provide you with the best medical care and treatment. And you don't want anyone partnering with you who does not even believe that your condition is real. It is estimated that 10 million Americans, yes, 10 million Americans live with fibromyalgia. This disease can affect anyone, is even affecting children. Um, I know of some children, for example, from the United Kingdom, as well as the U.S., whom have fibromyalgia. But it's more common in, in adults, and women are diagnosed with fibromyalgia nine times more often than men. But lately I have met quite a number of men whom have fibromyalgia. I think one of the reasons why you may not hear a lot about men being diagnosed with fibromyalgia is because women, we're more apt to talk and share with other women, you know, what we're going through. Whereas men, those that I have worked with, that's not something that they want to share. Uh, many of the men that um, I've spoken with, they're the breadwinners in their family. And for them being the breadwinners in their family, you know, they have to go to work. They are the provider of their family, their household. They, you know, don't want to focus on it. And it's also depressing for them as well. So what they try to do is process it a little differently and to just keep continuing to work and work and work. And no matter whether you're male or female, fibromyalgia is a real condition. And for those men out there who may be listening to today's show, if this is you, I encourage you uh, not to dismiss your chronic pain. See a physician, get some help. If the physician that you're seeing, if they don't feel it's a real condition or you don't feel that they seem to care or want to provide the right care and treatment, then you know what? Find someone else. There are many doctors that do recognize fibromyalgia. Um, and they will work with you to find a treatment 
to reduce your symptoms. In fact, one of the best doctors that I've met that has worked with me as a patient has been my primary care physician. Now, it's taken me a total uh, of six to seven physicians that I have treated with to find the right one for me that can really help manage my pain. And think about it, six to seven physicians, that's a lot of doctors to go through to see. And the physician that I currently treat with, the reason why he's a good fit for me and the reason why um, I love him being on my healthcare team is because he's honest enough to admit that he doesn't know everything there is to know about fibromyalgia. He's also stated that for this condition, it takes a team of doctors to help move you forward. And I love that because basically what he's saying is I don't have all the answers, but Nisi, I'm willing to partner with you and other healthcare providers to develop a course of treatment, a plan of action that's going to help you live a great quality of life. And that's the way it should be. Instead of seeing a doctor whom doesn't know about fibromyalgia and whom's not interested in learning more and they keep you coming back, coming back, coming back, coming back, but yet you're not moving forward and they're not referring you out. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know at all because nobody knows it all. So that's why it's important that you be your own self advocate. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, the history of fibromyalgia because I found this very interesting myself because see, when I was diagnosed, it was in around June of 2014 Prior to June of uh, 2014, I had had chronic pain for about two and a half years or three years prior to that, but it wasn't until 2014 that I was diagnosed with it. And in 2014, I'll be honest, I didn't know a lot about fibromyalgia. I had heard the word, but I had not met very many people who had it. At that point, perhaps only one person. And so with the history of fibromyalgia, many think, oh, this is a new condition. No, it's not new. It has existed for many centuries. It was once considered a mental disorder due to a lack of pathology. Um, there are psychological features of it. For example, depression, sleep disturbances, and mood changes, as well that arise with fibromyalgia syndrome. Um, but... In the early 1800s, it was classified as a rheumatoid disorder that caused stiffness, pain, fatigue, and difficulty sleeping. The fibromyalgia tender points, they were discovered in the early 1820s. And the condition um, was initially called fibrositis because many doctors believe pain was caused by inflammation throughout the body. And it wasn't until about 1976 that the condition was renamed fibromyalgia. And the name fibromyalgia is derived from the Latin word fibro, which represents the fibrosis tissue, and the Greek terms for myo, for muscle, and alga, for pain. And then in 1990, the American College of Rheumatology, they established guidelines for diagnosing fibromyalgia. And the first Prescription medication to treat it became available in 2007. So you can see that this is not uh, a new condition. 
Uh, it's been around since the early 1800s. And um, for those of you that um, may be wondering, well, what's the difference between it and rheumatoid arthritis? I'll tell you what it is. Um, fibromyalgia, you know, we have those tender points, um, but it doesn't cause inflammation throughout the body, as many doctors believe. The inflammation that many have is caused by rheumatoid arthritis. So fibromyalgia is grouped with other arthritis condition, but it's important to know it is not a type of arthritis, although there has been many discussions regarding this. Some say it is a form of arthritis. Many say that it is not. Arthritis causes inflammation and arthritis affects the joint. Fibromyalgia doesn't cause inflammation and it doesn't damage your muscles, your joints and your tissues. With fibromyalgia, you have widespread pain all over. The best way to describe it is waking up and feeling as if you've been ran over and hit by a truck. The truck puts itself in reverse and runs over you again. Uh, Widespread pain is, in fact, one of the main symptoms of fibromyalgia. The pain is often felt throughout the entire body and can be triggered by the slightest touch. How many of you, when you've gone to your doctor, um, they diagnosed you using the fibromyalgia tender point. Something as simple as, for example, your neck, your back, the base of your neck, just a slight touch. For many people, they don't feel anything. But for people like us, that slight touch, it makes you want to jump off the table because the pain is amplified. You feel, you know, just the slightest touch. It hurts you so bad. Just the slightest touch. So um, that is the difference between fibromyalgia uh, and rheumatoid arthritis. We're going to go on a brief break and we'll be right back discussing the symptoms of fibromyalgia. I am your host, Nisi Edwards. You're listening to the Pain-Free Zone on TalkZone.com. Here's your host, Nisi Edwards. Hi, this is Nisi Edwards. Welcome back. We're talking about knowing your patient rights and the history of fibromyalgia. So we left off talking about the symptoms of fibromyalgia. Uh, as I mentioned, fibromyalgia is widespread pain and it doesn't cause inflammation and it doesn't damage muscles, joints and tissues, whereas arthritis does cause inflammation and affects the joints. So what are some of the symptoms of fibromyalgia? It can include fatigue, sleep problems, as I mentioned earlier, sleep problems where you wake up not feeling refreshed. And no matter how much sleep you get, you still don't wake up feeling refreshed. Widespread pain. And most importantly, you hear a lot about this, fibro fog. And you may be wondering, well, I've heard that term, fibro fog. What does that mean? It means an inability to focus. You can be driving somewhere and, you know, you could have been going somewhere, you know, numerous times, the same place, the same way, the same directions, the same route. 
And then one day you attempt to drive to that same place and you get lost. It's called fibrofall, an inability to focus. And it does happen. In fact, it happened to me once when I was visiting uh, family in northwest Indiana. I mean, I've driven this route for well over 25 years. So it's not as though I didn't know where I was going. And um, I got there fine. But the return trip home, I left later in the day and um, I I became confused. I couldn't focus and I got lost. And um, the first time it happened to me, it really terrified me because I thought, well, is this Alzheimer's? Is this dementia? You know, what's going on? How is it I can get lost driving to and from my family home? And my doctor reassured me that it was neither. It was fibrofog and inability to focus. And it happens. So when I was first diagnosed with fibromyalgia and it was very debilitating, what I would do would be if I was driving somewhere, I made certain that I returned while it was daylight because the nighttime, for whatever reason, made it far more difficult and uh, and very confusing for me on the road. I had difficulty um, focusing. Um, but now that I understand that, you know, I know how to manage and that hasn't happened to me since. Some of the other s- symptoms are depression. So when you don't get enough sleep and you have a lot of chronic pain, yes, that will lead to depression. Headaches, uh, abdominal cramping. Now with the headaches, it's not like the typical headaches where you just may get, you know, every now and then and you may take, um, you know, over-the-counter medication for it, and it goes away. That does. That's not how it works with fibromyalgia. You know, these headaches can be daily. You can wake up with a headache, go to bed with a headache, only to wake up with another headache. So um, let's talk now about diagnosing fibromyalgia. Um, a doctor only makes a diagnosis of fibromyalgia if your symptoms match the criteria established by American College of Rheumatology. And this is the number one criteria. To be diagnosed with fibromyalgia, you must have widespread pain and other symptoms that last for three months or longer. Pain typically occurs in the same spots on both sides of the body. Also, people living with fibromyalgia, you have typically up to 18 tender points over the body and they're very painful when pressed and it doesn't have to be a major press it can just be a light touch these tender points it hurts really bad in fact the very first time um, a doctor had examined me and touched the tender points I thought I was going to jump off the table that's how bad it was but having widespread pain and fatigue doesn't automatically mean you have fibromyalgia. I'm only discussing with you how they go about diagnosing it. Doctors aren't required to conduct a tender point exam when making the diagnosis, but your doctor may check these specific points during a physical exam. Years past, there was no laboratory test that they can run that would say definitively, yes, you have fibromyalgia. But um, now... There is a blood test available. I've never had the blood test 
Number one is very expensive. Uh, some people have reported that this one single blood test costs about 600 to $700. And um, only certain labs do it. So it's not like you can just go to your local doctor and their lab is going to, you know, draw your blood and, you know, and treat for this. No, there's um, a specialized lab. I know of one, I believe is on the East Coast, that will run the test for this. And for me... Due to the cost, I just, I just didn't think it made a whole lot of sense for me to be paying six to $700 for this test. I mean, that's a lot of money, and that's not something many people can afford. And at the time when I first learned about it, it wasn't even necessarily something that was being reimbursed by the, the insurance carrier. So I thought, well, why am I going to incur more debt, another bill, six to $700? I believe this is what I have, and I'm going to act accordingly. So it's up to you. You have to, again, to decide what works best for you. Now, I'm always asked, what is the road to diagnosis? Okay, you've been diagnosed. Where do I go from here? Despite there being plenty of resources and information on fibro, some doctors aren't as knowledgeable about it as others. Okay, as I mentioned, um, after completing a series of tests with no diagnosis, some doctors may conclude that your symptoms aren't real or they may blame them on depression or stress. In fact, you may have heard from one of your doctors, oh, it's all in your head. There's nothing wrong with you. You're depressed. You're this, you're that. To a certain extent, it may be in our head because of the amygdala, the brainstem, your central nervous system. That's all that means. But for many of them, when they say it's in your head, they're not referring to the amygdala, the brainstem, the central nervous system being overly amplified. When they say it's in your head, they're just referring to basically that there's something wrong with you. You know, you're depressed. You know, you know, you just may need um, some psychiatric treatment or something like that. They don't take it seriously is what I'm saying. Um, don't give up on your search for an answer if your doctor dismisses your symptoms. Sometimes it takes, believe it or not, an average of more than two years to receive a proper diagnosis. I mentioned to you all that I was diagnosed in 2014, but keep in mind, I had chronic pain for three years prior. So that means altogether, um, I had lived with it for about three to four years before I had ever been diagnosed with it. Um, but don't give up. You can get an answer more quickly by basically working with a doctor who understands the condition. It doesn't have to be a rheumatologist. I mean, although a rheumatologist knows how to treat conditions that affect the joints, the tissues, and the muscles, they're not the only ones whom can treat it. It could be your primary care physician. Now, I want to stop there for a minute because if you're someone that's filing or may have filed for a social security disability or on the job FMLA, your primary care doctor may say, hey, I, I really feel you have fibromyalgia. They Sometimes they won't recognize that because they'll say that they it must, the diagnosis must come from a specialist, not your PCP, not your primary care physician. So sometimes it is necessary to have to treat and seek out the assistance of a specialist. It doesn't have to be a rheumatologist. Um, 
Other doctors you can consider seeing is a functional medicine doctor. There are a lot of wonderful functional medicine doctors out there. The thing with many of them is that some of them, all the services that they provide to you may not be covered by insurance. Because, see, with them, what happens is, uh, my first experience, what that was like was they ran a series of tests. And one of the tests that they ran, it cost me about $300 that my insurance would not cover. And they told me this in advance, and I had to pay for it up front. And they ran a test to look at um, the things that I was allergic to. I'm not talking about the skin testing, you know, the skin testing where they're sticky with different things to see if it will, you know, if you will have a reaction. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about they ran, they they drew blood, and what they're looking at is foods that I may be allergic to that I need to stay away from. So I already knew that there were certain things that I was allergic to, such as shellfish, for example. Um, but I also learned from them that, you know, sweet potatoes, for example, I love sweet potatoes, but I learned from the functional medicine doctor based upon the test results that if I eat sweet potatoes, that that's not something um, that I can have every day. They recommend maybe only once or twice. I mean, it even looked at what nuts you may be allergic to, what vegetables that you shouldn't be eating, uh, what meats you shouldn't be eating, what foods you shouldn't be eating. I mean, it is a very extensive test and it did cost me as I mentioned about $300 that's one type of test that they run there are other tests that the functional medicine doctors will run that is a stool analysis it's not your typical stool sample that your lab at your local physician's office may have you drop this is far more extensive what they're looking into and so therefore many insurance carriers don't want to uh, reimbursed for those. So with many functional medicine doctors, your office visits oftentimes is covered, but not all of the laboratory tests. So in addition to the rheumatologist and the functional medicine um, doctor, there's also neurologists as well as DOs, doctors of osteopathic medicine. So there are varieties of doctors out there that you can see who can um, treat this condition. And, and briefly, I'm just going to name to you some of the treatments that are currently exist that have been approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Cymbalta, Civella, Lyrica. Uh, some people don't require prescription medication. They're able to manage pain with over-the-counter pain relievers such as ibuprofen or acetaminophen. And others have had much success with alternative therapies such as massage therapy, chiropractic care, acupuncture. Lifestyle changes and home remedies have also proven effective. But when I mentioned some people don't requ- um, require prescription medicine and that they're able to manage pain over the counter, what that simply means is that there's different degrees of fibromyalgia. There are some people who have it very mildly. They're able to function. It, it doesn't affect their ability to work. There are some who have it that is so painful. It does affect their ability to work. And then there are some who have it that's very debilitating and that they are not able to function. So never compare yourself where you're at with someone else. 
And uh, we're going to go to break. So um, stay tuned for the Pain-Free Zone. I'm your host, Nisi Edwards. Now, let's get back to the Pain-Free Zone. Here's Nisi Edwards. Welcome back. I'm your host, Nisi Edwards. Today, we've been talking about knowing your patient rights as well as fibromyalgia, what it is, how it's diagnosed, and the treatment. So while we went to, right before we went to break, we were talking about um, some of the most commonly prescribed prescription medications for it. And I mentioned Cymbalta's, um, Civella, Lyrica, and uh, I mentioned that some people don't require prescription medication and they may be able to manage it over the counter. So never compare yourself to where someone else is. Okay. Now, using myself as a, as a, a good example of this, in the beginning, when I was first diagnosed, I was prescribed a lot of medication for my fibromyalgia. I was prescribed Lyrica. I was prescribed Cymbalta. I also had rheumatoid arthritis and I was prescribed Humira for that, which is a biological injectable drugs. But you know, for me as a patient, those medications did not work for me. They had way too many side effects and it began to impact my health in a negative way. So those medications were discontinued. So I had to figure out then, okay, what is going to work for me? Where am I going to go with this? And so, uh, you know, I had to basically experiment on myself to figure out, okay, what feels right for me? What doesn't feel right for me? And I was a patient at two chronic pain boot camps. Uh, one that uh, I will highly recommend to, to anyone is the Marion Joy um, Pain, um, Marion Joy, the Pain Program there in Oak Brook, Illinois. And the reason why I highly recommend Marion Joy is because they're working with you to get to the root cause of what's causing your pain. They are not looking just to give you, you know, a variety of drugs just to numb the pain. No, they will work with you to get to the root cause. It is normally a five to six week program covered by most insurance carriers, but each plan is different. So that's something that you will need to discuss with your healthcare provider in your insurance carrier, if this is something you may be interested in. But just to share a little bit with you how it works with the Mary and Joy pain program is that I mentioned it was five to six weeks. It is typically about a seven hour day program. And first thing in the morning, you're going um, to be in the class with other pain patients. All of them do not have fibromyalgia. You know, they're there for chronic pain, period. Whether it is a loss or a limb, whether it's due to an auto accident, motorcycle accident, whatever it is for chronic pain. So the first hour is spent kind of like in a class with other pain patients talking about chronic pain acceptance. And the very first time I heard that term chronic pain acceptance, I became very angry because I thought chronic pain acceptance, I'm not accepting this, but they explained to me that it's not a matter of, of saying that, okay, what was me? I got this and there's no hope. When they say acceptance, what they're speaking of is, all right, this is the situation. 
I'm going to learn all I can to learn about what it is I've been diagnosed with. And I'm going to move forward. I'm going to learn about it. And based upon that information to decide what's best for me and my health and how to move forward and to still live a good, great quality life. That's what that means. Then after that, you're in their gym for about a couple of hours. And it's not like your regular gym where you're, where you're doing jumping jacks and sit-ups and all that. No, that's not how it works. See, the beauty of it is that they design a workout regimen just for you. What they recommend for me may not work for you. Even if you have fibromyalgia, if you don't, it's specific to what my body needs, what my needs are. And um, in the beginning, it was very painful because when you have chronic pain, trust me, you don't want to be going into no gym and doing any movement. But what I learned is if you do not move, then you get nuts in the joints. Everything locks up and it hurts more. So movement is essential and they work with you on the movement. Then after the move, then after the gym, um, you're going to have with your physical therapist, you're going to have an uh, individual one to one session. Uh, it may be some type of um, heat therapy, massage therapy or whatever it may be. Um, they introduce you to Tai Chi. They introduce you to yoga. They introduce you to energy medicine. And there is the pain management doctor there. Her, her, her name is Selpa Kata, Dr. Kata. Phenomenal woman. Uh, because she truly, truly cares about chronic pain patients. She comes into the clinic and she's meeting with you generally about three times a week, you know, one to one to find out what's going on with you, what you need. So if there's other more extensive treatment uh, that you need, in my case, I needed trigger point injections. Dr. Kata was the one whom administered them. I mean, they take care of you the complete patient and you learn about yourself they even teach you on simple things such as okay for example this is october november is right around the corner we're going to be getting into the holiday season you're going into the grocery store you're doing all of your shopping they teach you how to shop in the sense that how many of you when you go into the grocery store the the grocery cart where do you put your heaviest items for most people you know they put the bread in the first little top rack that you pull out. They put the bread or maybe the eggs and then they put the heavier stuff in the bottom of the cart itself. That's further away from you. Um, all that needs to be closest to you. So instead of putting the bread where you normally would up top, that's where some of your heaviest items need to go because then you're not overreaching. You're not overstretching is more easily accessible to the body where you can reach it. So they're teaching you things about that. They're teaching you how to build up your stamina for walking. Um, I mean, it's just, what else can I say? It's just a phenomenal program. Yes, it is an expensive program, but I tell you one thing about the program, the focus of the program is not on prescription drugs. The focus is on the body, mind, and spirit connection. I finished the program. I still had some chronic pain. But there were other things that uh, I needed to do. 
that I had to work on for me because this is not one size fits all. And so what worked for me was the energy medicine. In fact, we had Michael Carmen on the show last week talking about your conscious language as well as energy healing. Um, and so energy healing, that works as well as Tai Chi. Um, I do Tai Chi once a week and that works for me. Tai Chi also helps with my sleep. So, you know, when I do Tai Chi, I, I'm guaranteed that I'm going to get a good night's sleep that it just works for me because number one is gentle is slow movement. So don't be afraid of movement. Don't try to go into one of those gyms where they're going to have you do some high impact exercise. If you do that, you're going to have a major fibromyalgia flare and you're going to be in so much pain that um, you're not going to enjoy it. And the chances are you're never going to go back to working out in the gym again. The key to it all is finding out what works for you. Number one, um, get plenty of sleep. Um, I know getting sleep is an issue, but some things that you may want to consider doing is avoiding caffeine before you go to bed. I myself like having a nice cup of chamomile tea. It's caffeine free. I like having that right before bedtime. Um, there's also a supplement out there called 5-HTP. Check out Dr. Murphy. He's in Alabama. Um, his last name is spelled M is in Mary. You are P-H-R-E-E. He sells a product called 5-HTP. It's a supplement. You take this right before bedtime and generally within 30 minutes, you're able to go to sleep. He has a lot of resources on his website. So in addition to avoiding caffeine, Maintain a cool, comfortable temperature in your bedroom. Turn off the TV and radio. If you have your iPhone and your iPad in your bedroom, you really need to turn that off because that light is going to disturb your sleep arcadian rhythm. Also, avoid stimulating activities before bedtime, such as exercising and playing video games. So, that's all important. Um, for some people do, and I've done it myself, is I use essential oils. I'll buy lavender. And with lavender, you can rub it a little bit on the soles of your feet. It's very relaxing. You can put a little bit on your pillowcase, a little bit behind your ear. That helps, too. So I'm just giving you, uh, you know, some tips on some of the things that you can do out there. Now, I, I do realize that for many people, they can try these things and it may not work for them. But keep in mind, there's no one size fits all. When the key to it all is if you try it and it doesn't work the first day or the second day or the third day, don't give up. Don't rule it out. Typically, you have to try it for at least 30 days to give it a chance to work. Um. You can start doing even walking, even swimming. You know, swimming has a lot of benefits to it uh, as well. There is warm water aerobics. There are some health clubs that have warm water pools uh, that a lot of people with arthritis use. And with fibromyalgia, we can use that too. You have to also reduce your stress level by knowing your limitations and learning how to say no. Most importantly, listen to your body. And rest when you're tired or overwhelmed. And um, I don't want to forget coping and support. You know, even if your doctor or your family members don't recognize your symptoms, 
I realize it can be difficult to make friends and get your family to understand what you're going through, how you're feeling. Many people, let's face it, they don't understand it. They may even think the condition is imagined. And it can be challenging for people who live with this condition and to have family members who don't understand it. You know, at the end of the day, all you can do is educate family and friends. And if they don't get it, then they don't get it. But don't make, let that make you feel bad. Okay. You know what you're dealing with and you just need to focus on taking care of you. And don't feel uncomfortable talking about your symptoms. You know, if you can educate others on how the condition affects you, they might be more sympathetic and they may not. But you know what? That's okay. And the one thing that I do want to leave with you today is um, there is a um, documentary out where Lady Gaga, she, signed, she shines the light on fibromyalgia. And it's uh, a documentary about her her pain, her pain. And it's entitled Gaga Five Foot Two. So she's raising awareness of fibromyalgia. So when you get a chance, you want to uh, check that out. Again, it's called Lady Gaga Shines a Light on Fibromyalgia. And the name of the documentary is Gaga Five Foot Two. And if I'm not mistaken, when this documentary was being filmed, I don't think she was diagnosed at the beginning of it. I think her diagnosis came towards the end of it. But nevertheless, check it out um, when you get a chance. Because, you know, in all things, knowledge is power. And you got to keep educating yourself on the options available to you to manage your health. So I hope you have enjoyed today's show. The Pain-Free Zone. I am your host, Nisi Edwards. And today we've been talking about knowing your patient rights and what is fibromyalgia. Thank you for tuning in.